With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. Brian Strauss joins me in this episode to talk about his first visit to D.C. United's new Audi field, my first visit to the big house in Michigan for Man United Liverpool, plus Zlatan Ibrahimovic and the insane soccer being played in Los Angeles these days. A quick reminder, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. It helps people find us. Onward! Let's bring in Brian Strauss from Washington, D.C. Brian, how are you? Hey, man. Um, back to living that life. <laughs> it is a soccer life, though, because you went to Audi Field not once, but twice in the past. Twice, right. right. I mean, it's a soccer life. It is, it is a life of, of crushing isolation. <laughs> and I'm trying to get used to that reality after 36 days in Russia. Um, but yes, the, 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 the glimmer amid the crushing isolation was my, my maiden voyages to, uh, to our new stadium, which, uh, yeah, is, is emotional and interesting and bittersweet and all kinds of, there's been all kinds of incidents there already. And, uh, we can chat about that because this kind of stuff is important and, and it puts, it puts the World Cup and things like that in perspective because it reminds you that the World Cup, it's awesome. I'm still coming down from it. So are you. Um, but it's also just a one-month tournament every four years for national all-star teams. And it doesn't really reflect the reality of, of, of soccer for so many millions of people, which is that the sport at its core, in its soul, is a, is a week-to-week uh, community exercise. Um, that has a rhythm and and that's supposed to have these connections where however you experience it youth soccer pro soccer as a fan uh, you know as a as a parent however you interface with the game that it's a local community event um and that's what these stadiums represent on some level and and so it was cool to sort of have the transition from the, the immensity of the world cup but also sort of the uh, the 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 unique kind of fakeness of it all um and then sort of getting getting back to the 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 sort of the soccer roots at home so So, yeah so let's put this in perspective here dc united uh started 22 years ago when mls started as a league and now 22 years in it finally has its own soccer specific stadium and it's one of the last mls originals to get one new england fans your day is supposedly coming (laughs) Um, <laughs> I'm not, I don't mean to laugh at Virginia fans. That was a, that was a poorly timed. I, sim- I have it. We we've all we've all made the trip to Foxborough, and and sympathies are. And I have family in Boston, and and sympathies are are. Real. So, how did this feel, DC resident, to to go to a soccer stadium in DC and watch a couple games? Um, it was it was actually up in the press box. Uh, Stephen Goff and I uh, on on a few occasions, sort of, you know, were. We're sitting in the same, you know, I'm 
to his left, he's to my right, you know, the same way we've been sitting for forever. And and there were multiple times where we were like, look at this, you know, sort of like this, this Beavis and Butthead kind of like, you know, <laughs> look where we are, you know. So there's that aspect to it. Um, it. It's hard to know where to start. I mean, there are look, there are there are wonderful things about it. There are things that need to be fixed. You know, there are kinks. There are there are flaws. Um, both in the planning and the execution, but that I'm sure that have happened in every single stadium opening or in every, the opening of any big venue of any kind. You know, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure shit goes wrong at airports. You know, when they open or hotels when they open. So, um, but there are some wonderful things. I mean, they they have these uh, they they have these sliding glass windows that that slide on a track um, across the front of the press box and then around into like a little a little gully or something. So there are, so you can either have an open air press box, but then when you slide the windows over, you know, you don't have some, some poor sucker sitting right behind the window frame, you know, so they can't see, um, you know, so like in some places, a lot of, a lot of stadiums have, you know, Toronto is always the one I think of. That's the most notorious where if you're in the wrong seat in the press box, you're basically just staring at the window frame the whole game and you can't see anything. Uh, so the design there was great. But then there aren't TVs, so you can't see replays. You've got to run around to the to the back behind the press box to see replays. So there's always there's give or take. But I think the biggest thing has been what this stadium represents and what some of the missteps so far represent about this club's relationship with the community and then all MLS clubs and all pro soccer clubs relationships with their community and just how important um, we talk about this over and over, whether it's the Columbus crew, um, whether it's, you know, other, uh, whether it's the teams in New York, um, you know, what's going on in LA now, some of the incidents that happened between the galaxy and LAFC, you know, what do these clubs mean to people? And when MLS sells itself as a, a an experience that connects you to a community, which is like what I said, what so much of soccer around the world is about you know, are they delivering on this promise? Um, and for a while, DC United had some significant missteps on that. Um, a lot of people know about their their showdown with the, the Barra Brava and the District Ultras, two of their three significant supporters groups, um, that they sort of made a deal with the third, the Screaming Eagles, uh, for ticket allocation, um, but did not do so with, with the other two, which sort of uh, de facto made the Screaming Eagles the official supporters club of DC United. And that's, of course, not how you're supposed to do things. Um, to to Bertha, you know, Bertha, well, there's a, a woman named Bertha who has been sort of the DC United media room volunteer, uh, you know, stadium mom forever. You know, like you like when you got to RFK, there was Bertha. You know, and she, you know, there was always a, a hello and a hug and and uh, make sure you sign in to get your media meal. You know, like 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 she was just part of the experience. And because D.C. United got sort of corporate and was focused on the stadium and cut a lot of staff, cut all their staff with any institutional memory um, and, and stopped caring about these little things. Bertha was kind of kicked to the curb during the transition. And there was no Bertha, like at the opener, apparently, while we were in Moscow for the final. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just wrong, because Bertha represents part of the part of Bertha and the Barra Brava and the District Ultras. All of this represents part of the community that this club is supposed to serve. So to D.C. United's credit, 
um, they are fixing some of this stuff. They are, Jason Levy and the owner got involved finally. Looks like they're patching things up with Barra Brava. Um, DC United also hired a director of communications, um, which we've been hoping for, a guy named Chris Hull. Um, and Chris used to be the uh, director of communications for the Football League in England. Um, and he's fantastic. Like he is, I've met him twice. And he's a guy who feels like he's been a friend for life. He understands and appreciates and embraces all of this stuff. He brought he when he found out when he found out who Bertha was and that she wasn't in the media room, he got on it. She was there on Saturday. Oh wow. Like he welcomed her back. And he sent out a tweet welcoming her back with a photo with her in a jersey. Like he had uh, there were a couple of longtime United fans who died recently, and he ensured that there were tributes paid to them on uh, on the scoreboard and stuff, you know, pregame and announcements about their lives and, 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 and their commitments to the clubs and things like that. So he's already stepped in to try to build some of these bridges and make the stadium a place that people want to be in order to plug into that community and not just a place that, you know, takes your money and, 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 and a place to go watch a professional sporting event. He, he went on the radio, apparently WTOP and said that fans who were inconvenienced by the security theater, clear bag policy, uh, for the first few games, we'll get free tickets to a future game. Like he's really going out of his way to patch some of this stuff up. And so I'm optimistic. I, I like this guy a lot. I think Jason Levian is here now uh, full time, I think, and, and, and is really committed to sort of fixing some of this stuff and making this stadium uh, a place for the community. And I think there were a lot of concerns that it wouldn't be. So that is a very long winded uh, explanation of the experience so far. And some MLS clubs get this stuff right and some don't. And, and it sounds like DC United hasn't gotten some of it right, but is going to be trying to trying to do so in the future. Is there a sense that it's a safe stadium at this point? Safe? Well, I mean, uh, the sideline reporter got hit in the head Easy. with a yeah. falling beam or something on the, the opening game. Is it a safe place now? I, I mean, I, I think there's – I think all of that's still being investigated and looked into. I haven't spoken – to Lindsay, Lindsay's great. Lindsay's had a lot of different positions with the club. Uh, Lindsay was responsible for the, the 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 RFK farewell, which was which was awesome. Um, yeah, she also does the TV. Uh, she hasn't been back, as far as I know. Um, and and this all happened while we were away. Uh, so I think all that stuff's kind of still being worked out. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I didn't feel unsafe. I, I it, it it honestly didn't come up um, in my two trips there. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, Wayne Rooney, bloody Wayne Rooney, uh, literally bloody Wayne Rooney, um, got his first goal. For yes, DC, it was cool. But... It was cool. And this is an, this is another thing I want to talk about. Uh, so he he's clearly alarmed by there being reporters in the locker room, right? Like, <laughs> clearly alarmed. And they and they tell them this, like they tell the they tell the players this stuff. You know, look, you know, Mister Gerard. <laughs> you're going to have to be on a plane for six hours to go play in Foxborough. That's just the way it works, man. And they still don't, you know, so I even asked, like, did you guys tell Wayne? And they're like, yeah, you know, but you don't realize till it's there in front of you. So he, he the, the DC United locker room is very nice. Um, but there's a, there's a large table in the center of the locker room. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, there's not a ton of place to move around in there because you've got to sort of do laps of this big table. I don't know what else to call it, like a big centerpiece in the middle of the locker room. Mm. So there's not a ton of place. I mean, so basically, like, it's really easy to corner a dude. 
if that's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And so it was actually, again, this guy, Chris Hall, like I was very impressed. Like at the first, the first game, the Wednesday night game where they lost to the Red Bulls, he, all the reporters were kind of crowding around. Clearly they're all told to get a quote from Wayne, even though he came on as a sub. And Chris just says, look, we're going to, we're going to limit it to four questions for Wayne tonight. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Wayne, for doing this. And then Chris, and then even like it was a little press conference, even though everybody mm-hmm. was kind of standing around informally, he named each person. He said, Stephen Goff from the Washington Post, go ahead. And so Wayne starts to put names to faces, right? And who covers the team and who's uh-huh. who, you know, so eventually it doesn't feel so foreign. And this is just stuff that most people don't do. And little things like that go, go an exceptionally long way, I think. Um, so, so he did not, Wayne did not really want to talk the other night cause he had broken his nose and his <laughs> face was bleeding. He was nice enough to take a photo. I guess they're giving out, I don't know if other teams are doing this, but like they're, they're giving the man of the mat, I guess like in, in, well, no, that's if you score a goal. I was going to in Portland, you get a tree, but that's if you score, not if you're man of the match, but they're giving uh, a guitar to the man of the match, like a good, a real guitar. Huh? which is kind of cool, but also like Weird. what the hell do you do with it? Yeah. So the guitars, I guess, are painted by a local artist. So the, I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to call her a girl. She said she just graduated from high school. So huh. the girl who painted the, the guitar um, was down in the locker room um, and she painted it with like, I, it's on my Twitter feed. She painted it with like sumo soccer babies Um and she just graduated from an online high school and maybe, so maybe she's like full into the art thing. I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, she took a picture Wayne was nice enough to take a photo with her and the guitar and that was cool. Um, but then he wasn't talking, which is understandable because he was probably swallowing his own blood. <laughs> uh, I don't know what to say to any of this. <laughs> no, it's, it's just, dude, it, the whole thing is such a weird experience and, and, and you're still trying to, I mean, like, look, we've all been to lots of stadiums, right? So we're all, we're all used to, um, trying to figure out where to go and, and, and you, and you're lost and you take a wrong turn and security hassles you because they don't know you. And we, we've all done this a million times. Um, but the fact that this one is ours and the fact that this is going to be sort of our home turf, um, it hasn't sunk in and, and because it just feels like another stadium you're not familiar with, but it, the sight lines, I mean, I've already talked to some, some people I know, some friends some teammates, former teammates who've gone to games and, and, and they, they, the sight lines are, I mean, there's a steep climb to the top of those stands because they're high, but the sight lines are apparently like phenomenal. Um, you're, you're right. On, it, 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 it avoided the mistake that a lot of the early MLS stadiums made where they were just very, very, very shallow. Um, and so you are on top of, and, and you've seen that, I guess, in Orlando and a couple other stadiums mm-hmm. too. But but these are really, really steep and high and and imposing, um, and you get you get views of the of the DC skyline such as it is. Um, and I hope they make this work. I hope I hope this becomes, um, you know, I, I I remember a while back, uh, I, I did a I was doing a story on Landon Donovan's um, effort. This is before the Leon thing. Mm-hmm. And it was Donovan talking about it was a feature on Donovan and his uh, his uh, effort to help MLS help San Diego land an MLS team. And he talked about the importance of that of the stadium of the complex as as a focal point for a soccer community. 
It's a place where fans can go to watch. It's a place that youth players can aspire to play. It's a gathering place. And, and for, and he said, you know, San Diego is, is a robust soccer community, but it's very diffuse. It doesn't have a place where people can really meet. And you talk to fans from across the world and, and, you know, I remember my first trip to England and, you know, you'd ask questions about, you know, why do you support this team that's never going to win the title, so to speak? And, and the answer is always community. The answer, the answer is always because these are my friends. These are my mates. This is my, this is my neighborhood. You know, this is where I gather and where I come and where I see people I care about. And you, you hope ideally, and I know this sounds maybe like pablum or cliche, but you hope ideally that's what it becomes. And when, and when Chris arranged for these tributes to these fans um, who had died recently, you real, I mean, they were, the, the stadium was full of people they knew. I, and I, and I feel, I wish I knew them. I, if I had, if I had not been a journalist and maybe become a fan 20 years ago in a parallel universe, maybe I would know these guys too. Um, and, and, and these were their friends and these were the people they'd sat with and drank with and, and tailgated with for years and years. And, and you hope it becomes that. Um, another cool moment the other night was, um, so anyone who watched the DC Colorado game, I guess the first question is why. And then the second question is, you may have noticed that Tim Howard, mm-hmm. the illustrious, legendary Tim Howard, was not great. Yeah. Uh, and and he, is, he has apparently uh, not been great this season. And Colorado, uh, you could count the number of wins on one hand. Um, they obviously just made the big trade for Kellen Acosta. He looked very good mm-hmm. the other night. He covered a lot of ground and was active. And, and, and um, they're clearly going to sort of build around him going forward. Um, but Howard was not great and they lost on a late goal and, uh, an own goal, I think. And, um, after the game, he was downstairs in the stadium speaking with a family, um, for a solid like 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I overheard, I mean, I said hello to him briefly and then sort of, you know, withdrew. I wasn't going to like butt in. Um, and I was talking to a couple other people, but I overheard at one point, Timmy say something like, you know, you can do anything if you have Tourette's, you know, so, so, so my guess is that this is a family who, who, when there was a, there was a, a boy there who maybe had been diagnosed with Tourette's and they mm-hmm. somehow arranged through Tim's charity or however it works to, to meet him. And after this game, after this loss, you know, far from home, uh, he spent a, a, a quite a bit of time, um, with this family and with this boy. And that was really cool. Hmm. Uh, he asked, he asked if I could help him find a, he, he asked if I could help him find a Sharpie. So he could autograph something for the, for the family. And I guess he figured you're from here, go get me a Sharpie. And I failed. I could not get Timmy a Sharpie. Um, but, uh, yeah, little things like that are what, are what build connections. And and that was cool to see, even though, uh, he, uh, he had a rough night. So that, that was the Audi field experience. Okay. Thanks for sharing. Uh, I had my own fan experience. You over did. The weekend. I want to hear about yours now. So I went to the University of Michigan. Uh, first time yeah. I had ever been to Ann Arbor. For a guy who covered college basketball for 13 years, I went to just about every significant college town in the country. And this is a reflection of how bad Michigan basketball was from 1996 to 2009 that I never once went there. And and Ann Arbor is one of the great college towns. It is. And so I I enjoyed that experience. Uh, I went to see and hang out with my friend uh, Andy Markovitz, uh, professor at University of Michigan, uh, soccer book author. Actually, we had a nice sit-down interview. It's going to be on the podcast Thursday. Um, 
He wrote uh, the book Offside Soccer in American Exceptionalism. Uh, really good dude. Um, and uh, so hung out with him, went to the United Man United Liverpool game on Saturday. Uh, were you with, like were you like in the bleacher? Like like what was your seating? I mean, were you high rolling it or were you? He had good tickets. The... He bought tickets okay. for us. Uh, so I checked the stub. It was like you know. So we were probably about just you know midfield, thirty rows up. But like as opposed to you're talking about the deeply you know the the sloping, very steep seats at Audi Field. It's basically the opposite at right. The big is it house. Like, is, is it, I've only seen the I've only seen the big house from the outside. By the way, it's a great nickname for any place. The big house. Here's the but, thing: um, it's it, it felt smaller than the Rose Bowl, which was kind I was of ask you how it compared to the Rose Bowl, right? Because on TV, that's the stadium it reminds me of. Is the it, Rose? Bowl. It felt smaller for some reason than the Rose Bowl, and I'm not quite sure why. But um, you know, they had 101,000 people, uh, including us, there on Saturday. Uh, Liverpool won four to one. Jose Mourinho had. I, I was not working a minute. I just want to be clear here. Um, I did not want to work this weekend. I had nobody telling me I needed to work, and so I did no work, and that was kind of liberating. Um, but in the press conference afterward, Jose Mourinho had some interesting quotes. I will go through some of these courtesy of Henry Bushnell, who was covering the game for Yahoo. Um this is from Jose, quote, almost half of the players aren't even going to belong to our squad on the 9th of August. This is not our squad. This is not my squad. This is not even half my squad. This is not even 30% of my squad. We have four or five senior players risking themselves because they don't want to let all the, ki- all the kids by themselves. Eric Bailly was not going to play. When he saw that Smalling was injured in the warm-up, he decided, I don't want another kid on the pitch. Mourinho with more here. It's not fair for Alexis and Mata and Herrera. So we are just trying to play these matches the best we can, which the boys did really well until the gasoline ran out. Um, let's see here. Uh, further Mourinho, we are not playing here to improve the team or to improve our dynamic or to improve our routine. We are playing here just to try and to survive and have some not very ugly results. Um, let's see. The atmosphere was good, says Mourinho, but if I was them, I wouldn't come. I wouldn't spend my money to see these teams. I was watching on television today, Chelsea against Inter. The people there decide beach is better than this, and they go to the beach. (laughs) Um, yeah, so... I appreciate honesty. I, I first so, somewhere somewhere in there there is a slogan for the ICC. <laughs> and by the way, my ticket just, the ICC. <laughs> we're just trying to survive. <laughs> by the way, my ticket. I looked down at the stub that Andy handed to me. Said one hundred and eighty nine dollars on it. Um, whoa, whoa! I want to be friends with him. <laughs> and. I, like I said, I appreciate honesty. And so I, I don't want to be one of those pe- journalists, media people who criticizes someone for honesty when that's what we want yes. is honesty. Because you, you see that happen all the time. But I will say that Jose seems very dour, very negative, and the season has not started yet. Also, the- also the Chelsea Inter game was in Nice. <laughs> so it's like... There's just a different. I mean, like, like if you're in Detroit, if you're in Michigan, 
the French Riviera is not an option for you <laughs> on a Saturday. So you, I would, I would go to the game if I was on the Riviera. I would not. I mean, yeah, that's just not. It's apples and oranges, Jose. I'm, and I'm imagining you like command, commandeering a boat on the, you know, the Riviera right now. I got thrown out. This is perhaps a story for another time, but I did get thrown out of the casino in Monte Carlo. For what? Uh, um, clearly not belonging. It was a long time ago. Did you forget to shower? Were you wearing like a, a t-shirt and? Sands? Yeah, yeah. I mean, along those. I mean, I was, I was like seven <laughs> weeks. I was like seven weeks into a a poorly planned backpacking trip, and I really wanted. Anyway, it's it's not a soccer related. <laughs> oh boy. Um, so yeah, I mean, like it was it was fun to go to a game. It was good to see my friend. Um, you know, what like was it, wasn't it cool? Wasn't it cool when the game ended just to leave? Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. No, I enjoyed that. I was also staying in the same hotel that Liverpool, the team, was staying in, the graduate downtown. And on Saturday morning, as I sort of bleary-eyed got into the elevator to go downstairs and get some coffee, freaking Jurgen Klopp was in the elevator. A guy, did he get out? Like, did, did, he, did he get out like Wenger did? This is the summer of Premier League managers in, in elevators. elevators with us. Um, quick... What happened? Oh, my God. Well, just just for listeners who weren't listening, there was the time when we were in Russia and we were going at at the Fox Hotel. We were going upstairs to record the podcast when Arsene Wenger was the only other person waiting for the elevator. And then he refused to get on the elevator when you and I got on, which which was pretty hilarious. He preferred to wait. Yeah. And and the thing is, and here's the thing about that is I I remember we talked about it at the time. But then later I remembered like like you're in the lobby of this hotel and this lobby was packed. Like this was the Fox World Cup Hotel, right. and so there were tons of people in the lobby. There were there were there were random hangers on and security people and groupie types and lawlesses, and there were all kinds of people in there. And and like we were like we were the sure thing, right? He could have gotten on the elevator with us, and we were and and and, and he could have known that he was going to spend a, a, a couple of extremely awkward minutes with us, or he could have rolled the dice. He was still standing down in the lobby. He could he he preferred to roll the dice and risk an encounter with anyone else in that hotel rather than ride with us. The other thing being, what would we have said to to Wenger in that elevator? I I would not have like probably spoken to him. No, I couldn't have said I couldn't have I would have completely crapped the bed and thought of it, it was like the moment with when when I we talked about this too, and it was the moment when I had the microphone and the France players ran into the press conference after the final, right? And like they didn't turn off the microphone, so I I had the microphone and I could have said something that would have been broadcast to the entire planet, because whenever they showed that video going forward, it I like I had it right there, and I I said nothing. I'm trying to think what you could have done that would have made you a legend in that situation. Would you have done like an MC type thing? I don't, I mean, that's the thing. You have no time to prepare. Like here was my opportunity to, to, to speak to the planet to, 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 you know, I don't know, <laughs> make, make my mark on history. And, uh, I sat there with a bemused look of bewilderment on my face and said nothing. 
So, so I, so I that, the same thing would have happened with Banger in the elevator. I would have been like, uh, I would have like shuffled my feet and looked at the floor. Well, so I get in the elevator. It's the twelfth floor, and so Klopp was coming down from above. It's like a fourteen-floor hotel, and so we've got like about an eleven-floor ride ahead of us. But I just don't want to like start up some conversation with the guy who like I've never sat down with for a one-on-one interview. I hope to at some point this season. He seems like a really good dude. Um, I just didn't want to be like that guy saying, oh, I, I, I'm the soccer writer for Sports Illustrated. Like, so I just shared the elevator with him quietly. Did you, but is it weird? Like, that's, that's cool. And, and, I, and I, would, I would hope I would do the same. Um, but is it weird to get on with a really famous person and then pretend, like, you kind of have to, you, you got to give like a nod, right? You got to give like a, there's got to be this, like, I know who you are, but I'm going to play it cool. Um, I will say this, that I think I played it pretty cool. I, I, okay. I said, good morning, and that was it. Oh, okay, good, good. Because, because equally, because while you don't want to corner the guy and, and, and make, him, make him feel like he can't leave his hotel room without getting ambushed, at the same time, like, the other side of, of the coin, which is just as odious, is when we see journalists become fanboys, right? Yeah. When we see journalists uh, – uh, uh, several times during the World Cup, um, a, a, a coach or a, someone giving a press conference would come down off of the podium and reporters would want to take selfies or even get like an autograph. Or oh, something. really? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and, oh, and we see all the time um, journalists, you know – posing i mean if, if you do an interview if you do an interview with a with a subject and you ask for that person for like a photograph you are immediately lowering yourself you're subverting yourself you're not treating them as a professional colleague as a professional equal you you are you are making yourself into a fan who is then looking up to them and that to me that destroys the professional equilibrium that needs to exist and the respect that needs to exist. You know what I do is, and if you anyone who follows me on social media might see this, I will get pictures taken of me interviewing and working. So yeah, but you're not posing for it with your arm around the guy, correct? With like, like a shit-eating grin on your face. Yeah, <laughs> correct. <laughs> um. So yeah, so that was my weekend. Michigan, Ann Arbor, very cool place. I'm glad I went for the first time. Um, your vibe, what was your, what was your sense of the crowd of the vibe of the crowd? Like who are these people shelling out $189, um, to watch players that Jose Mourinho doesn't even want? (laughs) Um, well, it was, I think there were a lot of like United and Liverpool fans who are the ones who are willing to pay that kind of money to see their teams, even if it's not their full teams. I do think there are going to be fewer mainstream fans of other clubs or you know, sports fans who might want to check out this soccer event when the ticket prices are that high. And I wonder how the attendance, I wonder how the attendance is shaped by, you know, depending on the market, like, is there a pro team already in that market? Um, well, I mean, I guess they play these things at the Rose Bowl, right? Um, Juventus and Madrid are going to play here. Well, I say here with like really, really big quote marks. Um, <laughs> Because FedEx Field, I, you know, I don't want to claim any ownership of whatsoever. But I wonder if that factors in too. I mean, you know, D- Detroit has Detroit City, but that's a 
you know, that's a team that plays in a very small stadium and plays a, you know, three or four month season. They don't have a, a year round pro team. And, and I wonder if, if, uh, yeah, how, how these games do in those markets versus markets that have, you know, MLS or, or USL teams. With right. some track. Well, this is the third time that they've gotten more than a hundred thousand people to an ICC game at the big house. So that's, didn't they set a record. Didn't they set a record there a few years ago? Like a, yeah, like a like, pro soccer record or something. Yeah. Like hundred nine hundred and ten thousand 110,000 for Real Madrid, man United. The one, the other thing I noticed, and this is me being a soccer dork. First thing I saw is how freaking narrow the field was, which, oh, wow. you know, you know how there's the 10-yard hash mark from the corner flag? Right. Okay. They didn't even bother to, to paint one because if they did, it would have been about four yards inside the penalty box. It would have, it would have just showed – it would have been a, a look-at-me reminder on how narrow it really was. Yeah. So we're talking narrower than Yankee Stadium uh, soccer field quite a bit. You know, I, I've sort of taken the position, uh, I think, over the years that I, I don't, you know, soccer can be fun sometimes, too. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be so serious and so life and death all the time. And if people people enjoy it, if people have a good time and that's how they want to spend their money, great. Like, I'm not I'm not anti-ICC. Right. I'm not anti any of these friendlies at all. Um, and I guess we can talk about the All-Star game in a second. But um, at, at the same time. I mean, I guess it's up to the organizers, right? I guess it's up to them to figure out a way to deliver a compelling, a compelling night out. And 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 if if you know, Jose is a curmudgeon, right? And we love him for it, and we talk about his curmudgeonliness all the time. And I'm also a curmudgeon, so I feel a, a, a kinship <laughs> with him. Um, but you know, I, I mean, at some point, at some point, either people will say, "I, I don't want to spend this much money." Um, to see sort of this walkabout with guys whose name, you know, who I'll never see again in the United shirt. Um, or they'll just be so thrilled to, to see a team that, you know, resembles the team that they support that they'll, they'll continue to come. Um, and, and I love, and I love how they always, and this is my uniform thing. They so often wear their away uniforms on these, on these trips cause they want to sell them. Mm-hmm. So like the other night, I guess the other night Arsenal played PSG and instead of red and blue, like Arsenal wore like some kind of lime green thing and, and PSG wore like beige, you know? So it's like, you're a lifelong fan and you're coming to see what, what did they wear? Did any, did either of the teams wear red? At, so at like the, neither United or Liverpool were red. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, I don't know. Like if I was, if I was come if I was a Liverpool fan, like through and through and I was coming to see my team, like I'd want that photo. I'd want to see the red. I'd want that rush. And they just don't do it. So apparently, so like I said, apparently United and, and Juve are uh, United. Sorry, Madrid and Juve are playing in Raljon right. uh, on on Saturday or Sunday, and there is apparently no. I said the I said last week on the show, um, you know they don't seem to care about us. So like, why do I care about them? There is apparent like I have never received like I'm like am I, I'm the second longest tenured sort of soccer writer in the DC area. I guess that's right? your Twitter that's- profile. After golf, um, <laughs> so so I've been I've been here for a while, and I've I have not received a single notice about the game. Like no credential application, no sca- Like if I wanted to cover the Madrid Juventus game, I would have no idea even where to start. You know, and and there's apparently no media. They're not they're not doing a press conference. They're not making anyone available. Um, 
you know, like if you want to like find out where they're staying and like stake out their hotel, if you really want to do this, then, then I guess no one's stopping you, but they're just, they're just not here to sort of work with or engage with the media. And again, that's their right. No one's going to have sympathy for us among the public, but it certainly makes me less inclined or less interested in, in covering it or acknowledging its existence beyond this conversation with you. I am personally hoping that you share an elevator with Max Allegri. <laughs> I don't, I can guarantee you that if I walked into the sort of hotel that these teams are staying at, the result would be similar to what happened to me in Monte Carlo. <laughs> I want to talk quickly before we wrap up on Zlatan Ibrahimovic, hat trick for the LA Galaxy Sunday night, come from behind 4-3 win against Orlando. This was a few nights after the Galaxy came back late down two goals to tie 2-2 with LAFC. Um, is it just me or is are, is LA the the centerpiece of American club soccer right now? I, I find both these teams to be fascinating and they produce ridiculous amounts of goals because they don't really play much defense. The Galaxy have certainly become fun to watch again. I mean, there, there was a stretch there where they were they were dour and miserable. Right. Um, and, and they are not anymore. And, and Siggy's coaching like I used to coach when I didn't really understand defense, but I understood offense. And I was like, all right, boys, we're going to win five to four. We have no choice. You know? Um, yeah, it's, it's great fun. Like, like last night's game had very little structure, no defending. Um, and it was ridiculous fun. And again, if, if you, if you will allow yourself to have fun watching soccer if you if you if you, if you can get there as a person um and it can be hard sometimes it was incredibly fun um and Zlatan is a showman and a mensch and a hero and <laughs> just what a what a signing man and they got him for a bag of pucks a bag of pucks yeah like relatively I mean he, the guy is just and he set up the fourth goal with a, with a beautiful knockdown header I mean he played his target man role too and 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 was you know scored three of the goals and set up the fourth and the fourth goal was just a, a I mean, again I mean it was just mayhem in the penalty area but he just latched onto that loose ball and just powered it in and the guys just and then he just took his shirt off and threw it on the ground and like just what a man like what what a player it's fan, fantastic I, I would say also L A and Atlanta to me seem to be the centerpiece places for MLS this season. Joseph Martinez, two more goals over the weekend. He's going to destroy the record, isn't he? He's just going to, he's going to leave it in the dust. He's three goals behind the MLS single season record yeah. at this point, and it is still July, uh, which is kind of crazy. Um, and I hope he scores 40 goals. I think it'd be amazing. Uh, and then obviously the MLS All-Star game is in Atlanta midweek. We are not going, which is okay. And... Uh, Neither is Zlatan Ibrahimovic, apparently. Nope. <laughs> Different reasons. I haven't been to an all-star game. This will be the fifth consecutive all-star game that I miss. Okay. So I, I guess, I mean, far be it to me, from me to speak for our employer, but maybe Sports Illustrated doesn't care about the MLS all-star game because they haven't sent me to one since 2013. I mean, if it was in New York, I would go. And maybe sure. even oh, yeah, if it was yeah. in like D.C., we would both go. Sure. Absolutely. Um, my sense is like, it's one of those things where obviously the game itself doesn't really matter. No one cares about the result. Uh, it is nice to go and see people. Yep. You know, like 
top stars, you know, catch up with them a little bit, uh, other people surrounding the game. And I do think that sort of from this point until the end of the regular, well, until the playoffs, MLS gets more interesting. Um, yeah, this is about, right, this is about when things pick up. This is about when, you know, there, there are storylines emerging and, 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 you know, a few races where, you know, we're, we're at the tail end of the Open Cup. We got some playoff races. Certainly whether or not Toronto can sort of recover and, and make up ground and sneak in is going to be a compelling story in the second half. Um, you know, Martinez's chase for the goal. Um, I guess Atlanta's probably um, going to win the Shield. Um, but, uh, you know, I've, I have not been to see a game in Atlanta or obviously not to LAFC. So it's weird. I mean, to sit here and talk about L.A. and Atlanta as as the sort of the focal points of of you know the the, the national scene at this point um i i feel so rem- i feel very removed from both um so i'm i'm just not plugged in i guess uh i i you know lafc has been wonderful to work with um you know they they they'll get you what, what what you need and 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 you know i've i've enjoyed my interactions with that organization but i haven't been to bank of california stadium yet um I, I won't say anything about Atlanta on that front. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I, I think there'll be some interesting races and I look forward to figuring out who's who. I think another storyline of course is the, the, the transfer of Alfonso Davies and sort of what that means for the future of the league in terms of, you know, we all understand why it's important. We all understand why being part of the player market is important in terms of, development and incentive and and revenue and all of these things that help build the league and help build a a soccer culture and a development culture all of that's vital at the same time we all saw what if you have not seen what alfonso davies did to minnesota this weekend you (laughs) need to get to your computer and watch and mls is in a in a situation where they're like this guy is worth paying to see you know this is phenomenal. This is the reason you get up off your ass and, and, and put some pants on and come to the stadium is to see this guy and we're going to get rid of him. True. Is the implication that you're not wearing pants when you're at home? I mean, you know, anything goes. Um, sorry, it did me to sidetrack things there. I mean, $13 million base transfer fee from... Bayern, or to Bayern Munich from Vancouver for Alfonso Davies, just 17 years old. We are going to get to see him in the last half of the season because he's not 18 yet uh, and won't be transferring until January 1st. But I'm very curious to see if he ends up playing at all for Bayern Munich. Does he go out on loan? But really, like you said, just he is must-see TV right now, and I, I wouldn't say that about anyone else on that Vancouver roster, but... But it's but it's not just must see TV. It's it's must see in person. Yeah, you know, you, to really get look, not to I mean to, to see Kylian Mbappe in person, to see him that I, I wrote about it, I gushed about it that night on the pod. But to see him run down that that diagonal ball from Paul Pogba in the final was exhilarating. Yeah, to 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 be there in the stadium and to see a player like that with that kind of speed and grace and power. You have to see it in person. And it's just, look, I'm not, I'm not proposing any solutions. I'm not complaining about anything. I, maybe it's even pointless to say it. But MLS is at this weird inflection point where, look, you got to make the sale. You got to do it. 
right? And 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 the sale could could approach many millions more than thirteen, right? With incentives yeah. and all that kind of stuff. I, you know, they were talking about twenty million dollars or whatever. And I, I I get why all of that's important, and hopefully, the league and the teams are are able to communicate that with their fan bases, many of whom are hardcore soccer fans, but many of whom are not, and that's okay. And we and and there has to be and yes, players leave. The, the 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 pirates or the royals or i don't know name small baseball teams the brewers i don't know and they go to the yankees and the red Sox like that's something that people are used to but they're not leaving the country they're not leaving the league and th- that is an interesting i mean when, when when sort of general sports fans general sports media wonder wait you want people to support this league you want people to support this team why are you selling the players that i will pay to see play that's a real thing too. And so this is just something that the league is going to have to balance and be wary of and appreciate and respect that these conversations and these kind of, again, you make that connection with your fan base, you know, players graduate from college, right? And people love, you would talk about Michigan, people love Michigan football and they're accustomed to the fact that they, they become attached to a player and that player then leaves. So because they're attached to Michigan football, because they're attached to the experience in the community. So it's, it's, it's more incumbent on these teams now to build those attachments so they can, you know, sell, sell a player because look, fans don't $13 million is a lot of money, but I don't know if you just dump $13 million at midfield. I don't know how many people are going to pay to come see that, you know, at least more than once, maybe one time you want to see what $13 million looks like, but you, you, you can't, you're not going to get people to come to the stadium to see money. So you have to give them a reason to come. And the biggest reason for people in Vancouver to go, unless they really have that deep attachment to the club, um, was Alfonso Davies. Yeah. No, man. I mean, like, it's he's just a fantastically promising player. I hope this is the right – I think this is the right move. Whether he ends up playing at Bayern Munich or somewhere else in Europe, I guess we'll see. Um, let's wrap this up because we're hitting around 45 minutes here, which is longer than we usually go. That's a really long time. Um but it's fun to talk to you, my man. Uh, next week, we'll go into more detail on the U.S. women's national team. That we'll have the whole tournament to look back on, the Tournament of Nations. Um, but, uh, yeah, let's do it again then. Yeah, I got to think of some stuff to write. I should maybe write an article or two. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Brian Strauss, as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. It really does help the cause if you do. And check out the 30-Minute Planet Football video show hosted by me and Luis Miguel Echegaray on SITV. That's available on SI.TV, Amazon, and Fubo TV. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.